Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. The mortgage now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. All right, good morning, everyone. Happy July 1st. Some energetic music, man. I feel like I should have... You like this. Yeah, you know, it kind of grew on me, actually, yeah. this little new bed thing here. Yeah. I it. Yeah. I should add some more coffee, though. I feel like my energy's a little below the bed right now. We've got coffee out there. Yeah. All right. Placial green room we have here, Jason. <laughs> yeah. I actually did hear we're getting new furniture for that. Whoa. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. Is the new furniture going to have that unemployment stain on them, or is that... (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I hope not. Just think about it, though. That's the kind of furniture makes you want to leave your shoes on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We've been uh, with uh, AGM now for a year. Can you believe that? It's a year that we were making this transition last year. Sounds right. Mm. Yeah, cool. Anyway, so, yeah. New furniture for the green room. That's what I'm told. Sweet. We'll see when that happens. <laughs> Add some other services, too. Yeah. Tell them to get one of those real uh, nice espresso machines. Yeah, we'll get and, uh, <laughs> The new furniture is the good thing. <laughs> oh, a massage recliner. Yeah. Yeah. Give, us, be really give good. us some reasons to get here a little bit earlier. Uh, there we go. Right, <laughs> right now, there we just kind of run is. up and s- slide in. If I was That's sitting the at, problem. Yeah, if I was That's sitting at problem. home thinking, you know, there's a lot of amenities down there. I should probably get going. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, it's my. this is kind of my first day back in the seat here. Of course, I missed you guys last week so much. You got sure. well, you did the show with Jason Van Dyke. Yeah. yeah, we had a good show last week. Had a real estate agent on. Yep, and it was all good. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. Talked a little bit about commercial property, a little Ooh. bit about residential investment property. Ooh. Um. Yeah, it was a good show. Sounds enthralling. Yeah, it was actually a good show. Had a couple calls, I believe. Can you it's guys good. believe it's already July first? I can't believe it's July first. It's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Kind of thought we might do a rerun today for the holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. I heard a bunch of people talking this week that this is a four day weekend. Hmm. Are you off on Monday? Uh, yes, we're off on Monday and Tuesday. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our office is open on Monday, right, Dan? I believe we're off. Well, yeah. Maybe we're, I don't know. Yeah, we're off Monday. Yeah, yeah, we're probably open, should find out. <laughs> open Monday, yeah, close Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a rule in the banking world that um, your financial institution cannot be mm-hmm. closed for consecutive days. Yeah. Mm, that's right. So mm-hmm. because of that, we were able to send wires on Monday and transact mortgage business. So Normal we will business. be open. Yeah. Well, plus, you know, it's the first week of July. We're going to have to hit the ground running if the second year is going to be as good as the first Second half of the year is good as the first half of the year, right? That's right. 
I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I actually did, after having a little time away from the office this last week, I, I'm feeling energized and ready to get back. Good for you. Um, yeah. It is it is good to, to yes. get a break. Get away. And I, of course... Yeah. I should have come bearing gifts because Dan and Allison had to cover my desk all week, and I'm I doubt that was fun or easy. Was it fun or easy? <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> yeah. Dan's not There's Dan's not it changed. It changed yeah. the uh, the scope the of your routine. week. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails and a lot of prequels and a lot of. Just sorting and then, of course, supporting all of the staff. There's a lot. Um, I really, this is one of the great things about having a, a business partner, one of many, but um, yeah, you really do get a look into what other people are doing when you have to cover them. I'll never forget yeah. one of the first firings I had made in the mortgage business. I had a gal that went on vacation for two weeks, which sounded dreadfully just long as heck. And I realized when she got back that we didn't miss her. Yeah. yeah I'm not crazy. <laughs> hey, nobody was stressed out about covering your desk. And, um, you know, she was a pretty lackluster employee to begin with and stuff. Already yeah. had been, like, you know, written up a couple times for uh, problems. And then, yeah, it was, it was really evident. So bottom line is you need to go away. And if people just really lament you being gone and, yeah. and can't wait for your return. They'll let us know. Then you're yeah they'll let you know and your your mm-hmm. desk is ready for you when you're coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I got to got to go get away and then I had um, the tail end of the week. I celebrated my anniversary with my wife. We've been married for 19 years. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. I got married when I was seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you're 26. Good, 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 good. I'm not. Yeah. I'm on the the eve of 40 here. Dang. It's the last year of the 30s for me. Dang. I'm gonna, Dang, Jason. I'm going to use them all up right <laughs> here. Um, so what happened in the in the financial world while I was gone? It looks like you guys pushed the bond market up a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Someone asked me to d- yesterday what the reasoning was for... For that change, for the the 10-year note yield rising quite a bit um, over the last week or so, didn't really have a good answer. I studied up a little bit on that. I mean, there was a couple headlines I even saw this morning that were suggesting that part of it has to do with um, concerns abroad settling down a little bit. Um, I thought that was an interesting one. yeah, I, the market, I think, is a little bit interesting right now. In fact, this this last week, a few of the Fed members were out ca- talking, and um, some of the things they talked about was um, potentially stocks being a little bit overvalued, potentially the housing market um, you know, being very strong, but also being a little bit of cause for concern. We also heard them mention inflation several times, about the fact that they're kind of raising interest rates in the face of inflation that's still less than the target. And so, uh, anyway, as all the dust settles, here we are. We're seeing um, the 10-year bond closed out yesterday at 2.3. And it had been living in the 2.10s for the last couple of weeks. And so um, I wonder if it's just a test, though. My prediction is that by next Saturday... 
I bet you the bond is back where it was in the two point teen range, and everything just sort of settles back down. That's it, my guess. My best explanation for the the movement in interest rates this last week was that it was month end and quarter end. And yeah, and marking the halfway point of the year. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you got to think about what goes on in financial markets. There's a lot of business that needs to be um, planned for in the future. And so these these big investment firms, they show quarterly reports to their prospective clients. Right. And so they use quarter ends to tie a nice, neat little bow on what was hopefully a good trading quarter. And so they make trades that are more based on making their uh, financial statements look good than anything else, really. I think outside influences are less important than just Well, is it what you call profit-taking? Sure, profit-taking, you know, realigning portfolios and, you know, doing whatever to kind of, you know, it's, it's spring cleaning, if you will, for a financial institution at quarter end. And so I think that played into this a little bit. Yeah, and if you've got people selling treasuries just to get a little bit of profit, now you've got a little extra treasury in the market, which means that the yields are going to have to go up on the new offering to compete, right? Yeah, those bond prices are at a six or more month high. So, yeah, good opportunity. My prediction is that it eases right back to normal as we get back to it and realize that we still have the second half of the year. Um to make everything happen. Um, another another little tidbit that we got this this week here, um, really under the old news category, but um, we got the final read on the quarter one GDP for U.S. production. We got one point four percent. So it was just a, a touch above estimates. That's not a that's not a bumper crop right there. That's not a barn burner number, but it's. Um, I had a different look on it. Yeah, you know, and probably because I I might look at this a little more closely than most people. But for too many years in a row, I've seen this number hovering around zero percent growth. Um, in fact, I think there was one first quarter in the last five years where it was even negative. Mm-hmm. So to see it, I, what I've noticed is over the last four or five years is that this has gone from literally being negative, whatever it was, you know, four years ago, five years ago, to now we're at 1.4%. It's gone up every single year for the last th- four years, I think. So you're feeling good about it. Um, I'm feeling good about a first quarter, knowing that really we've made great, um, you know, we've really made our years in the second and third quarter for the past several years. So to see, uh, you know, yeah, it's not two or three percent like we hope our annual GDP turns out to be. It's a strong first quarter compared to the past five years. And so I think it's just a sign of. The, you know, this recovery, it's been a long recovery. And I think we're, you know, when you look at graphs and they, they have that real shallow pitch to them at the beginning, but then they start to round their way up and really get going. I feel like we're starting to round our way up now. Yeah. We've gone through that, that plateau where we're really trying to recover and recover all the losses from, from the previous decade. And now I, f- I feel like you see numbers in employ- or unemployment, you see other statistics, and it feels like for a while now we've been waiting for something significant to happen, whether it's big strides in um, hourly earnings or, you know, something to happen. And this, this feels like 
a move in that direction where we're finally starting to see some real um, positive movement after a decade of really struggling to get the engine firing again. So you're saying we have a chance. <laughs> I'm saying I'm I'm it's a good I'm start. optimistic about right. that first quarter. That's good. Um, good growth for what's typically been a very, very down quarter um, for the last five years or so. Yeah. No, that all makes sense. I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of, of quarters of good, strong growth. I think that might be the final thing to to convince everybody, in, even in the, the U.S. and abroad, that we made it, you know? And I think that's partially why we keep looking for some of those big headline numbers to really tell the story, looking for that emphatic truth. You know, this can't be argued now. And we see, like you talk about that mixed bag of numbers that we see from quarter one, two, three, four. Um, yeah, that you're right. First quarter um, seems like that's been the time that we've had to thaw out, right, for yeah. the last couple of years. <laughs> a lot we of just, weather related, yeah, and, excuses. And looking at that, um, yeah, what was the anyway? Yeah, quarter one's been cold, tough weather. We'll make it up later. Hey, that was cool. Was that related to the weather <laughs> somehow? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm looking for patriotic music, and apparently, I forgot to turn something off. Sorry about oh. that. Yeah. You're already working on a break. I'm working huh? on a break, yeah. For what I do over here, July. man. I devote my time to your show here. As you were talking about that, I started punching up an article. It's funny, I you know, I go through all the, the news sources and grab little articles, tidbits of data, things that I think are good talking points for us. But as you could imagine, I read things that I that just don't make the cut. I read it and I go, ah, I'm probably not going to talk about that. But as you were talking about that, I was like, man, I wish I would have kept that article. I was reading about NAR, the National Association of Realtors, and they've released a report this week that's talking about um, the impact of all of this regulation on the housing market and GDP. Kind of interesting. Suggesting that because... I mean, and this is kind of falling in line with the the current, there's a look right now into Dodd-Frank, right? Try to figure out whether Dodd-Frank is too overreaching, overbearing, if some, some parts of it are overlapping or need to be scaled back a little bit to keep things moving. Um, these guys are over at NAR have released a little article saying that... Um, Absent of this, the recovery would have been better. It would have added quite a bit more money onto um, the GDP, probably contributed an additional 1.8% to the annual GDP just if housing was was able to do what it needs to do. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Seeing this, the different takes now, and now I, I feel like we're about to see some action, by the way, in terms of what's going to happen with Fannie and Freddie, but also are we going to see any kind of um, repeal or just revision or some kind of simplification of the Dodd-Frank stuff? Um, that sounds, those feel like things that are going to happen in the next, you know, I'd, I'd venture to guess probably 18 to 24 months. Well, so NAR is referring to the financial regulation or just like environment for building homes? 
Um, primarily referring just to the regulatory environment. Interesting. Yeah. And there's so. definitely parts of Dodd Frank that I feel are cumbersome and in, you know, they just kind of get in the way of some common sense aspects of business. But then there's other parts where I feel like, yeah, that was kind of necessary. We needed that. Yeah, I agree completely. And um, even with Dodd-Frank in place, by the way, I still see some dumbing down of lending standards. Um, And I see this, uh, I know I I say this often on the show, but I think it's the mantra for the mortgage industry is never underestimate the power of self-preservation. If things start to get a little bit of slow, wouldn't you know it? We've got a we've got an answer for that. Uh, whether that's a new program with a lower rate or some, you know, historically it's been risky features, right? Little teaser rate or something. We're not going to see it go that far now, in part due to Dodd Frank. I mean, this is qualified mortgages uh, are what Dodd Frank demands of lending institutions like us and others. It makes up about 95% of the total total market um, is going right through Fannie and Freddie. And so um, these regulations prevent us from having big prepayment penalties or negative amortization, um, interest-only type of things. Um, So kind of thankful for some of that framework. At the same time, Fannie Mae just released what they call their enhancements, and I punched out uh, four of the enhancements here for you, making my case here that with Dodd-Frank in place, we're still probably dumbing down standards a little bit. So, citation number one, Fannie Mae will now allow a maximum of 95% loan-to-value on adjustable rate mortgages. So that's that's pretty far. Um, I think today's consumer that's getting an adjustable rate mortgage is a is a savvy consumer, usually with a lot of money. They really understand what they're doing. Uh, it's interesting to me that you're coupling that product with darn near the minimum down payment. You're almost begging somebody with limited resources to come on over into the adjustable rate uh, mortgage world. Hmm. That's citation number one of, of dumbing it down. Number two. Uh, Fannie Mae just rolled out just this last week, uh, one year tax returns now for self-employed borrowers. So instead of needing to do that two year average, um, you're, and this, this won't be for all borrowers. Of course, it's, it goes automated underwriting engine is going to fire a demand, whether they want to see one year or two year. But the fact is, um, it's been a long time since Fannie Mae let you get by with less than two years tax returns if you're self-employed. Do you remember it? I don't remember it. I mean, we got some reduced doc type stuff back in the day where it just said, you know, get a 4506 sign or something. You don't need to get the actual tax returns. That wasn't even really truly stated. It was being abused that way as a little bit as a right. way to state your income instead of fully verifying it. But now we are seeing, let, let's say that you're a builder, okay, and you've been a builder for eight years. I would suspect that your 2016 was better than your 2015, right? In fact, some of the builders I know were still wrestling legacy issues in 2015, or maybe just not fully back to making normal profit. So what happens is in something like this, you're looking at just the 2016 tax returns. Uh, historically, you'd be averaging the two to try to be 
kind of looking conservatively at a larger window to make sure that you really have a great understanding of their ability to repay. Under these new guidelines, that borrower might be asked for only 2016, uh, which would potentially paint a very different picture. So uh, right or wrong, now we're reducing that a little bit. Uh, The next point on my list here, this is a great one for, um, well, we could talk about this later in the show too, but um, now student loan cash out refis are priced as a no cash out refi. Oh, when paying off student debt? Yeah. So Uh, if you want to do a refinance on your house, and, and maybe not everybody knows this, but when you do a refinance, you have two types, right? You have the one where you just pay off whatever existing financing is in place. We call that a rate existing and term. first mortgage financing. Sure. We call that a rate and term, which is where you really just, the only benefit of your refi is that you're changing your rate or you're changing your term. Sometimes you're changing both, but you're not tapping equity from your home, right? On the other type of refi we have, um, this is a cash out refi. So the cash out refi, I mean, think debt consolidation. You're usually, you're either consolidating a first and a second, or you're paying off those credit cards. Sometimes you're just accessing some equity, right? You want to do a big remodel. Rather than getting a construction loan, we give you a cash out refi where you take $100,000 out of your property in one loan up front, nice 30-year fix, clean way to do it. But a cash out refi, it's a little bit more risky, right? You're, You're after some equity, you're going the wrong way on paying off your house. So there's a little bit of a risk premium associated with that. The change to the guideline now is that if you're taking cash out to pay off student loans, it's viewed and underwritten as a rate and term refi. So for some people that would uh, have a maybe even a call to action. If you're drowning in student loans and trying to figure out how to do a, a cash out refi to pay them off, um, it prices as a rate and term, which, by the way, can make a really big deal if you have like a 680 credit score trying to do an 80% loan-to-value cash out refi on your house. That can be really, really expensive. But now that this is going to be priced as a rate and term loan, there could be some real value there for somebody that feels like they're mired in student loans and looking for a little bit of fresh air. Let's hop over to the phone line. We've got Matt calling from Los Osos. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great. You have a question for us? So every time I go garage selling, I turn on the radio and I hear you guys. All right. And you make a lot of sense. Thanks. So here's my situation. We had a lot of medical bills in the last couple of years. And we're in debt for probably $30,000 because of that. We own a home here in Los Osos, and we got a lot of credit card debt because of the health issues, medical issues, my wife and myself. So I want to get rid of that credit card debt, and uh, we have equity in the home, and I just don't know which way to go, whether we... Refinance. I currently have a three point eight five percent interest rate. Uh-huh. Um, Thirty year mortgage, and we've had that for the last. We probably have twenty five years on left on it. Okay. Or a home equity line of credit. I I don't know. What What would you advise me? Um. 
I, what I would really do is I want to get a loan application from you, and I need to spend a little time um, doing some analysis on it. If What you guys are wrestling with is high credit card balances, um, but the way that you said also that you've been dealing with some medical stuff in my profession, that generally means that you've got medical collections. Um, and now that... Well, we're making payments on those, you okay. know. And okay. Unfortunately, the institutions, Sierra Vista, et cetera, have allowed us to make very low-cost payments. We're paying about $200 a month okay. and paying off okay. those bills. So that's really And then good. we have some other credit card bills uh, because of the loss of income and loss sure. of employment. Is everything um, current, though? Did you guys experience late payments or collections or anything? No. Well, there, there was a collection uh, last year. My daughter... Uh, stole one of my credit cards and billed out four thousand dollars of oh. credit okay. on my account, which I I have always had like an eight hundred score, and she tanked me. But according to what I'm seeing, my score is back up to like seven fifty. Okay, my wife is perfect. Yeah, um, so here's the know, deal: eight hundred. But yeah, I I had to deal with that. She did not pay it off. I had no idea that was going on. Um, and uh, so I it went to collections, and then collection agency got a hold of me, and it was a shock to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's my own Absolutely. daughter that did this to me. Yeah. And she has not made any attempt to pay me back, but I paid it off. Okay. Uh, I paid it off, and uh, so... It tanked my credit score, but my credit score has gone back up. Yeah. So you know, here's so. the deal. I mean, it, what we want to do is we want to get in there and, and do an analysis, you know, based on your loan amount, what your property's worth, what you owe, and your credit score, and basically just kind of run a few different scenarios. There's a couple of different angles by which you could tackle it. Um, and a line of credit may be an option for you. The thing I don't like about the line of credit is that they're typically adjustable, and um, you know we could find a period in the next couple of years where that that rate could kind of steadily adjust upward on you. And uh, this but less is, than a credit card payment, right? Yeah, less than a credit card payment. But at the same time, if there's a good opportunity for us to have the long term security of fixing it. Uh, that may not be the way to go, but it's definitely worth evaluating. You know, what um, is the current mortgage rate? Uh, it's right around four percent. Yeah, it's real close to what you have, and so that's why I'm saying is you you might be tacking. You know, depending on your loan amount and stuff, you might be kind of electively paying forty bucks more a month in interest for the whole thing to consolidate yeah. what you have. Now I don't mind with doing it. a refi on a thirty year. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think I can afford a fifteen year. I owe about three hundred and sixty thousand dollars on my home, uh-huh. which is worth about six hundred thousand. Yeah, so you got some room in there. It, this is definitely one of those things where there's not I, anybody would be remiss to tell you straight away what the best thing to do is. I'd really like to take a look at it and figure out, um, and basically just make proposal for you. Um, the well, different I, I options. Well, I banked with Cesslock, so as, as of Monday, I was going to go talk to them about doing a home equity line of credit. But listen, you guys, you guys make a lot of sense. I'm thinking maybe I ought to do something with you guys first before I I make some kind of jump. 
Yeah, I'd be hesitant to leap towards the equity line when your mortgage rate is so close to what current mortgage rates are. If you can get all that debt consolidated into one fixed rate loan, then you don't have to ever worry about the prime interest rate going up, which it's been going up a quarter of a point a quarter for the last year. Um, right. So I I think it's definitely worth well, yeah, looking and then at. The other thing, too, is that those arms are okay if you've got um, the prospect of some additional income or some additional assets coming your way, some way that you're going to knock it out. But I think most people... Um, and look, the, here's the heart of why you're calling. You got some things hanging over your head that are bugging you, and you want to bang it out so that you can kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy and less stress. I just want like one payment. Yeah, so that, a bunch of payments. To me, if you have just and one new first interest rates. Yeah, you you bang all that stuff out. One new first. It's nice and simple. It seems to accomplish the primary objective of why you're calling. Um, so let's yeah. do this, Matt. Um, give me a call. Uh, I'll be in the office on Monday. Just call five four three loan and ask for me, Jason, and I'll we'll get the ball rolling on making a proposal for you. I always encourage people. By the way, um, you know, check with me. Check with Seslock. We've got some similar product. Generally, I'm going to suggest that I'm going to be able to do better for you than they can. We just rather than representing one small town. Um, institution we're representing about 50 different banks that uh, have really aggressive products and pricing and so I'd, okay. I I'd love to have the opportunity just to throw my hat in the ring and um and hey let's let's figure out what's best for you guys all right that sounds good Jason all right hey happy yard sailing. That's easy to remember <laughs> yeah um you know and and you know I've got a, a, my mom is like 90 going on 94 years old and uh, she has about a million and a half dollar property, which is going to be split between me and my brother. But you know, I she's in great health. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, so and I don't want her to go away. Right. I love my mama. You know, so but I, I've got that. You know, and uh, I just I just don't know what to do in the meantime. Right. You know, she's in great physical health and her mental health she's got dementia she's really uh, bad yeah you know and uh she there's times where she has no idea who i'm at who i am when i'm talking to her and then 15 minutes later she knows right you know so that's tough but physically she can last another 10 years so you know and i'm not looking forward to her passing away don't get me wrong sure um but i do have that in my future you know, uh, between me and my brother, well, Matt, that was we'll that. But you know, I, it, but in the meantime, it's we're really struggling with all the credit card interest rates that we're suffering. One of the good things about a, a first mortgage, Matt, is that if you do come into a large chunk of money, whether you win the lottery or you inherit money. Um, from a family member, you're able, if you make a large principal payment towards your first mortgage, most mortgage companies will allow you to do what's called a recast of your loan, where without extending the loan term or doing any kind of refinance, you can uh, simply get the loan reamortized on the remaining term with the remaining balance. So um, sometimes there's a fee that's fairly nominal, 150 bucks, something like that. But that will readjust your payment down to what the current um, balance owed and, and interest rate would suggest the, the payment should be. 
So that's something where if you did have that life event like you're describing, you could reset your mortgage payment at that time. Um, we're getting forced out here into a break that we need to take here. So, um, Matt, we do appreciate your call, and we hope you give us a call during the week to talk more um, in detail about your situation. Give us a call at the office at 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage expert. On the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Talk, talk, talk through the first 40 minutes of the show. We missed the first commercial break. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we missed the second one, right? You probably <laughs> it doesn't really matter either way. Well, yeah. We kind of made it to the second one and just yeah. kind of skipped the first one. Yeah, that's okay, though. We got it. Yeah. Great call from Matt. Um, that's, a, that's a really, honestly, one of the kind of um, 
situations where I, I just enjoy getting down into the weeds with someone, figure out what's going on, you know, what are the objectives, what are the constraints, and just try to figure out the best way to make somebody's life a little bit easier. I always do really enjoy helping people buy a new home, whether it's your first home or your retirement home or the vacation home in the Sierras or whatever it is. It's always really fun to help people buy houses. Uh, it's That's generally just pretty joyous. There's also something real special about doing a loan with somebody where they're looking for a way to resolve what feels like just burden in their life, you know, lift that weight off of coming up with a game plan and, you know, being able to, to just make life a little easier. That's different. It's a whole different set of circumstances, but, um, I enjoy those types of transactions. I was in the middle of telling you about the list here of the the way that I believe we're dumbing down um, credit qualifications a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the final one's not that big of a deal, uh, but it's indication nonetheless. If for only no other reason than the way that, the, that Fannie Mae chose to cite this, uh, but the new Fannie Mae enhancement states that timeshare loans will now be treated as an installment loan. So you're going to look at it like a car loan. Um, Historically, we've looked at these like a real estate loan. And here's the rub. What's the difference, you ask? Funny you should ask. Um, If you have a mortgage late on your timeshare, you're ineligible for financing generally for a period of 12, sometimes 24 months. On your car loan, it's just reflected in your credit score. That's no big deal. Hmm. So, yeah, your your terms may not be as good because you've got that recent late. But the fact that they're looking at changing that evaluation, I think, is telling. One of the things, you know, and, and I've, I've often, whenever you run into a setup where somebody has a late on their timeshare loan, this is always a really interesting conversation. Well, it, it shouldn't be that strict. You know, this is this is a vacation that I sort of prepay. Yeah, well, it's deeded real estate, and the fact that you're late on it means that you're mismanaging um, that debt, at least um, just because of negligence or oversight, but it could be, and this is this is the whole point of the mortgage late, um, the reason we've always cared so much about it, it could be that you found yourself in a position financially where you had to make a choice on whether you're able to honor this debt or not, if only for a month or two. Um, and so because it's tied, it's tied to deeded real estate, we've always looked at that just like it was your rental property or your second home or whatever, looking at that, that mortgage that you have on it as actual mortgage debt. Um, and now we find that Fannie Mae, uh, for for really for purposes of the late reporting, is looking to reclassify that type of loan like an auto loan. Interesting. That rounds out the four big bullet points. But um, going back to the original premise, I know we took a phone call, how to break these things. These, to me, these are items, um, high LTV arms, one year of tax returns, treating some cash outs as rate and terms in order to lure more people in, and then um, kind of turning a blind eye to timeshare mortgage lates. Um if you were looking for some way to to kind of 
be able to clearly see that we're changing, we're adapting a little bit the the credit underwriting guidelines. And and I you know I started this under the the idea that um, I I do believe. Um, and I think you share this in I think we're in a better place in this market and economy because of Dodd-Frank. I really do. I think we needed some financial regulation and perhaps a little bit of reform. Uh, back in the early 2000s when we first got into this business, it was like the Wild West. Yeah. You could pop up overnight. If you just had the money to get in, you could begin creating product, right? You remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we do these loans, and the difference with us is you don't have to be alive or whatever, right? You can do one day out of bankruptcy. Easier to qualify for, yeah. (laughs) And you know, in fact, you you don't even need to make a payment for the first year. All this really weird stuff started happening, and it was because people were trying to to break into a marketplace where the profits were unbelievably large and really with no accountability to anyone. And, and we learned in retrospect, they didn't even have accountability to their investors. They, they got hundreds of millions of dollars from their investors to fire up and have the capital to run these businesses. And we found out when it all um, kind of collapsed overnight that nobody had accountability to anybody. So at least today, you got to be licensed up. You can't just go start creating products. There's things that are now completely forbidden, um, and there's a lot of that frame. It, it created some additional licensing. I do believe there's some redundancy in there now, um, but that's one of the things I think if they're – and obviously we're going to have to see how this all comes out in the end, but uh, the our current president has signed an executive order – asking a couple of bodies basically to go in and look at Dodd-Frank. Where is the redundancy? Where is the problem? Are we creating any chokeholds, these kind of things? I can't imagine anybody coming back and saying, oh, scrap the whole thing. Um, There's a little bit of stuff about some of the compensation and other things like that where I think they just took some liberties and meddled maybe a little too deep, much to the chagrin of the consumer. I mean, in that... That's what I would argue at the end of the day is that we we in the loan industry, um, I think I could probably make the case that, that Dodd-Frank took the cost to the consumer and doubled it. And, um, you know, part of that is just the these – all of the banks and institutions needing to comply with the new regulatory standards and audits and these kind of things, that, that increased costs in and of itself – but then additionally, um, the direct, the fixation of making the profit margins be a one-size-fits-all, um, every bank sort of had to go through this bizarre test of trying to figure out what what kind of percentages you had to charge on every single loan to make sure that you didn't get run out of business by a contract. And unfortunately, I think largely that that calculation led to um at a minimum it's the homeowners at the the lower loan amount into the spectrum got hit the hardest and that's the part of the population that i think um probably needed the help more than the million dollar people needed protection so at any rate it'll be interesting we'll keep you guys up to date as that stuff starts to unfold and and we learn more about what kind of redundancy and and changes that uh, might be eliminated by looking back into it. But 
It's exciting, nonetheless. Yeah. I, f- I feel bogged down by a lot of that compliance stuff. There's There's instances where, you know, dating things happening in a certain date order or within certain date parameters are so critically important to a loan and intent is often overlooked in in the loan process in really all of the banking process intent is secondary to complying with these arbitrary someone just out of thin air it feels like picked some rules about you know you have to do this within three days and this has to happen on this date and you know, it really doesn't change the intent or desire for parties on either side to want the loan or right. whatever. But, you know, if you miss one of these rules that, you know, some guy in another room who's never worked in the mortgage business made up th- that if that you have a problem with a loan that that the loan officer wanted to give, the borrower wanted to receive. And, you know, it's just, it can be a frustrating thing. And that's where I hope there's some cleanup. Yeah. Sometimes it just gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. I saw um I saw a really funny um 2017 analogy of um Noah building the ark. I thought I might read it to you on the air today. Uh, and you'll have to bear with me cuz it's going to take about a minute um but I think given the current conversation you might find it um I think we're used to you taking time to say things, Jason. I'm just going to throw that okay. out. <laughs> so you guys are familiar. Dan, Dan's thinking it. He's just not saying so You guys it. are familiar with the story of Noah and the Ark, right? Of course. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the animals, they came on by twosies, right? Mm-hmm. So here we go. So this is 2017 now. God comes to Noah, um, who's now living in America. Of course, probably California, maybe even San Luis Obispo. <laughs> And he says to know, you know, once again, the earth has become wicked, full of sin and overpopulated. Um, and I see the end of all flesh before me. Build another ark and save two of everything along with a few good humans. Mm-hmm. He gave Noah the blueprint saying you have six months to build the ark. And like before, unending rain for 40 days and 40 nights. So six months later, the Lord looks down on Noah and he finds him weeping in his yard with no ark to be found. And he says, Noah, I'm about to start the rain. Where is the ark? And Noah says, forgive me, Lord, but things have changed. I needed a building permit, and I've been arguing with the boat inspector about the need for a sprinkler system. My neighbors claim that I've violated the neighborhood laws by building an ark in my backyard and exceeding height limitations, and I had to go to a local planning committee for a decision. Getting the wood was another problem. There was a ban on cutting local trees to save the green-spotted barn owl. I tried to convince the environmentalists I need wood to save the owls, uh, but no go. Um, The Environmental Protection Agency ruled that I couldn't build the ark until they conducted a full environmental impact study on your proposed (laughs) flood. The Immigration Department is checking the visa status of of the people that need to work. The (laughs) The trade unions say I can't use my son's. They insist I must hire only union workers with arc-building experience. To make matters worse, the IRS seized all of my assets, claiming I'm trying to leave the country illegally with endangered species. So forgive me, Lord, but it would take at least 10 years for me to finish this arc. The skies cleared and the sun began to shine, and a rainbow stretched across the sky. Noah looked up in wonder and asked, 
you're not going to destroy the world. And God said, the government beat me to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's That's true. It would be be difficult to get away with building an ark today, Uh, wouldn't it? Yeah, Uh, you have to plant two trees for every tree you cut down to, by the way, Noah. (laughs) 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 It's fun. I mean, obviously, Uh, it's pretty tongue-in-cheek, but it does. It gives you a little idea of when you kind of sit down and you summarize it. Um, you start to see, man, there are a whole lot of people uh, with their hands in the pot in terms of being able to get something done, mm-hmm. being able to just, you know, from constructing a new home or whatever, or doing a remodel or an addition, just getting the loan to do one of those things. There's a lot that goes into it now. We have a lot of oversight. Um, there's a lot of, you know, regulation that seems to to just preside over everything that we have to do anymore. And I think those things make it more expensive to the consumer. Um, that's one of the unintended consequences. And like I said, I, I do believe that Dodd-Frank is ultimately a good thing. Um, but I also think it'd be smart to have a look into it and make a determination if there's parts that could be changed a little bit, get rid of some of the redundancies, some of those other kinds of uh, things that just might give a little bit of breathing room, perhaps lower the cost to the consumer a little bit. Agreed. Um, this last week we found out that um, 34 large banks passed their stress tests. Did you see that? I did. So the stress tests, um, is this under Dodd-Frank? I believe so. I always forget if it's Basil or Dodd-Frank, but uh, anyway, you got... These stress tests, I think they're Dodd-Frank, showing that the banks could survive um, simulated downturn in the economy that are are showing some pretty good stress. And so the good news is is that the banks have passed their stress tests, and um, we're going to see more um, this week about the details of that. But um, interestingly enough... It might be time. I was gonna. I was gonna talk to you about this, Dan. It might be time to pick a couple bank stocks again. <laughs> you mean to invest in? Yes. You missed that boat. No, <laughs> we missed that. Remember when some of those bank stocks were at like a dollar a yeah, share, two twenty five, <laughs> five yeah. bucks. You missed that boat. But listen to this. Since hitting peak levels in early March, that was just a short, like three months ago almost four. Um, Goldman Sachs is down 17%. Wells Fargo is down 14%. And Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase are down 12%. How can we be at record highs in the stock markets, banks passing stress tests, with flying colors, the housing market be on such sure-footed ground, an administration that is currently looking to reduce the regulatory framework that chokes these banks out from realizing their full potential and still have these stocks down double digits in a couple-month period here? Yeah, but they're up. (laughs) <laughs> they're up like 
So they're up from $1 <laughs> 10 years ago. Right. So I don't know. So you're not out, you're not going to pick any? You don't want to buy some? I, this is not a stock picking show, nor <laughs> am I a professional stock picker. <laughs> Therefore, I will not be giving any stock picking advice today. I just thought it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm just trying to help you make a little money. Understood. Pick Thanks. one. One Thanks. of them's down 17%. And I feel like we're in a spot where we're like poised to, these banks are going to make more money, aren't they? Yeah. If I had any kind of investing backbone, I wouldn't have taken my money out when uh, Chase went from $1 to $2, and I felt like I did good. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, those were uncertain times. (laughs) Those were. In hindsight, it feels like just a total bonehead move, but... What's that stock today? (laughs) It's like 50 bucks a share or something. Yeah. You'd be know. doing a lot better it if you had It would have been better. A friend of mine had enough Bitcoin that he sold for about $400 that if he had those Bitcoins today, it would be worth a couple million dollars. Wow. That's got to be hard to fall asleep, right? When yeah. you're thinking about that, when you cashed in those Bitcoins. <laughs> Wild. Um, we have... A whole nother hour coming up of Mortgage Matters. Uh, plenty more to talk about. We actually got some home data. We got some Case and Schiller home price index, pending home sales. A um, little bit about personal income and consumption for the month of May. AIG back in the news. Remember AIG? I do. The uh, American International Group. That was a... That was a big one for the bailout talk. So they're back in the news this week, getting back in business. I'll tell you about that. So stick around after this short break for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. This is the lyrics-free version of Glory. Battle Home of the Republic, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember being in, like, first grade-ish, mm-hmm. and you know the... They make those clever little, like, childhood limericks of... Mm-hmm. So there was a rework to this one that <laughs> I, I said in the classroom. Uh-huh. And was sent to the principal's office for being unpatriotic and oh, disrespectful man. to the flag. Hmm. Oh. 
Jason. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. Mortal sin there. Probably not anymore, though, huh? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. Probably get in trouble for singing it because it says the Lord in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just ride this thing down to the bitter end. <laughs> Why not? You know, it's patriotic music. And it's the 4th of July on That's Tuesday. Right. All right. It's barbecue and there blow we're... things up day. <laughs> right. There it is again, man. Oh, we're building again. There, there it is. This is like the jam band version. There we go. Right on. You know, this seems kind of anti-patriotic to not play the whole song anyway. It just seems Sometimes that I feel that way yeah. about music in general. Yeah. You know, so it's like you, once you start it, I feel like you kind of got to finish it. <laughs> so with the whole royalties thing on radio, does when it's a... Well, I guess that wasn't written by yeah, the U.S. Most, government. It was written yeah, by a private Pretty person. much that's kind of duty-free anyway usually somebody but, would have to bust you anyway right yeah, yeah. kvc i mean this is a they play glory <laughs> mighty powerful institution here at kvc but i'm yeah. guessing you guys could probably play whatever you want and not get in trouble right well let's not push that <laughs> but yeah we we you know you have to get turned in got it and who's gonna do that yeah. with the, and then uh, this one's uh Public domain, anyway. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah. What does that well, mean? Means that you have the right. Uh, it's um, it's not under copyright anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Well, happy birthday to you is still under copyright. You cannot sing all of "Happy Birthday to You" on the radio without paying royalties. So that's kind of. You gotta watch it, but yeah, that one's duty free. Uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like a, a more rounded person for having known that. Thank you, Jim. There you go. I'm just letting. You know. I want to talk about housing a little bit. Um, and as I was reaching into this segment of my notes here, where I put my housing data. I found that that part earlier that I was telling you about um, the NAR, the National Association of Realtors, um, said basically that without crushing overreach from regulators holding it back, the sector would have added $300 billion to the U.S. economy in 2016 with a GDP impact of one8 so that was the actual um, number there, if given the opportunity to have a normal housing rebound. And one, um, they basically just allege there to have been many more organically driven starts um, that would have produced an additional 3.7 million homes uh, throughout the U.S. over the past eight years. We could use those extra homes. Yeah, it, it proved to be about half of that um, is what actually happened in the in the previous eight years. Yeah, funny you should mention that. What you're talking supply there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, man, supply comes up in about every conversation that we have to have about these totally. home numbers. 
one of the stats that came out this last week was the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index. Now, this one has a two-month lag, so we're getting a number here for April. But this shows that in the Composite Index, where they run together 20 metros throughout the U.S., we saw a 5.7% increase in the month of April. Um, 5.9 was the reading for March, which was a pretty hot pace. Um, that was the fastest pace in about a three-year period. So seeing a 5.7 reading on the heels of a 5.9, we see some headlines suggesting that um, – Home values, <laughs> yeah, home values are um, increasing slower. Even here, some weird ones suggest that they're uh, potentially beginning to decline. That's really deceiving. The pace of value has slowed slightly to what is still arguably above healthy. Yeah, the pace of appreciation isn't as... as uh rapid as it was yeah. the year prior but 5.7 percent year over year appreciation is robust growth in home value it's above that three to five percent healthy range that we talk about and then different areas are responding differently in fact um I believe earlier this week on CNBC, they were talking about San Francisco. That used to be one of the hot markets here in this recovery. I mean, what, the median price in San Francisco is now a million bucks or something like that? To be low income in San Francisco, you have to make less than $200,000 a year or something, something stupid. Um, now they're saying that San Francisco is one of the slower appreciating markets in the whole country. And it has to do with affordability. They've kind of reached that equilibrium where um, people really can't afford homes there. I mean, everyone cue your shock and awe right here. People can't afford the $1 million median-priced home in San Francisco. That's hard to believe, I know. Um, But now, because of that, because home values have gone up so much in that Bay Area, now they're not seeing the appreciation really at all. They're saying it's pretty flat. In that area, so that's kind of interesting to watch and see if other um, appreciating markets start to follow suit, where they find some equilibrium, where you know it's just reached a reached a breaking point. The the people who want to buy homes just can't afford them. Yeah. Also um, included in the Case and Schiller Home Price Index, we found out um, that. Supply has barely kept up with demand. And, I mean, we got to say barely kept up on account of we've got um, the inventory of a new or existing home for sales have fallen to a four-month supply. Um, That in and of itself is likely to keep home prices on the rise. Um, We talk, dig a little bit deeper find out that a chief economist at Comerica said that developers are having trouble finding the lots they want and finding the labor they want. Uh, With those constraints, that's going to keep basically a diminished ability to add new housing to this mix, thereby keeping um, demand up, which tends to just keep pushing prices 
higher and higher, I guess until we all top out like San Francisco, where you hit that point where your local economy just says, hey, we just, there isn't any any more upward room for these real estate values as people can't afford them or are choosing not to afford them. Um, we found, let's see here. Secondary tech hubs like Seattle, Portland, and Dallas reported the highest annual gains. And, um, you know, altogether, it basically just looks like with tight inventory, um, these low interest rates, I mean, it, though the Federal Reserve is bumping interest rates a little bit, we really haven't seen it translate right into the mortgage interest rate Um but we've seen the Fed has raised the interest rates by 1% in the past 18 months. That's what's happened. Um, but longer-term interest rates haven't followed suit, um, I think, due primarily to subdued inflation. I mean, we just we don't have inflation pressure to drive those long-term rates up, and so we just kind of hanging out here. Um, I don't know where that equilibrium happens these guys uh are alleging that um so this is still the comerica guy saying it will be interesting to see how robust is the housing market if we let the mortgage rate see the 5 or 6% range that seems awfully far away right now i mean you're talking interest rates needing to go up by Fifty percent. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like that's it could happen. The market's been so weird with interest rates. Think about it. We've had Fed increases in December, March, June, all of a quarter point. So the Fed has raised their benchmark rate three quarters of a point. Meanwhile, mortgage rates really haven't moved at all in that same period of time. And normally you would think that those Fed rate increases would would pass through to mortgage interest rates. So it feels like other pressures so it's just are pent keeping up rates down. And waiting. And what if those other pressures go away one way or another? Could we see a rapid increase in rate to when catch you, up with those Fed increases? When you say that, I'm thinking of that... Um Remember the Pringles can, like snake in a can Once thing when you were a kid? you just can't stop? But I'm talking, yeah, kind of, <laughs> but the you stuff the snake, the springy snake thing down inside the Pringles can with the lid, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And the lid, in this case, you're talking is other things that are preventing these rate hikes from doing exactly what they need to do. So perhaps you've got one point of... Uh, Pent up coil here on interest rates that are just looking to pop the top. Just, just a thought. Just putting it out there. We'll see. Only time will tell. I mean, I know that's not what the Fed wants. They don't want to see rates jump wildly. They want slow and steady. But it's just the question. I have. I'm having trouble dealing with that question. Two weeks ago, and this last week, we had members of the Fed out and about talking. Um, Janet Yellen, who, of course, is she's the uh, Federal Reserve chair right now. Um, she was talking um, at the British Academy President's Lecture in London. This was just on uh, Wednesday. 
Listen to this question. Would I say there will never, ever be another financial crisis? And she said, you know, probably that would be looking too far, but I think we're much safer and hope that it will not be in our lifetimes. And I definitely um, don't believe it will be. She she believes that we won't see another financial crisis in her lifetime, which, I mean, what is she? She's Is she 70? I think she's like, I want to say she's 67 or something like this. So her lifetime might be, what, 30 years? 20 to 30 yeah. years, maybe, something like that. It's hard for me to believe that we're not going to have a financial crisis. Maybe I maybe we need to define better what a financial crisis right. is. <laughs> Interesting. Well, President Donald Trump said during his election campaign, she's 70. Perfect. August 13th, that's the uh that's almost my, 71. My grandmother's birthday. Maybe she was 67 when she got Sounds about right. Something something in that. That number stuck in my mind. Yeah, for she's reason. almost done with a four-year term. During the election campaign, Trump said that he would cut banking regulation um, and, of course, is looking at easing up restrictions for big banks and their trading operations. And, um, you know, so those are the little things about those regulations that might you know, if all these are in yeah. place to totally stave off any kind of uh, financial crisis, are do we are we any good at should we should we, any of us agree to peeling back any of that regulatory framework? Well, and this is great because you know who's really had it the worst these last ten years are the big banks. They've, right, they've really had a hard time. Those poor guys navigating this recovery. Those big banks. Yeah. Oh, did I mention that Chase's stock is now up to $91? Yeah. $91 a share. Probably buy it. <laughs> it's about to split. <laughs> right. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Part of the reason the bank stocks are down this week, by the way, is this, from what I read on a couple of the stock um, blogs that I read, said it was due to a lack of confidence in Trump's ability to make any tax cuts. Hmm. Was the single reason. Okay. Get a man on that. (laughs) (laughs) When you get those bank stocks back up somehow. Boy. Hey, commercial break it, Jim. Let's do it. Let's do I've it. I've got um, a pending home sales number to share with you guys, too. We'll talk a little bit about um, those homes that are in contract. They're going to give us another look at the health, the health of the housing economy. So let's do a quick commercial break. We'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Loan. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the 
Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free Sing it, I'm And I won't forget <laughs> I opened your mic just up for a <laughs> That's a good friend right there. <laughs> That's why I pointed them. <laughs> there we go. Here's the. God bless the USA. I mean, it's not quite Sweet Caroline, but. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's a good sing-along song. Yeah. All right, like welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on this. Is it a, is it a holiday weekend when the Fourth of July is on a Tuesday yeah. and there's a work day in between? Yeah. Still feels like somehow a we make weekend. it a holiday weekend, yeah. even if the Fourth of July is going to fall on Wednesday. I bet it's Mon- still it'd be two holiday weekends. I bet Monday's pretty quiet. <laughs> I bet there's yeah. a lot of people taking Monday off. Yeah. Yeah, our office is closed. I mean, programming still. Nice. Someone has to be here, but the office is closed. Wondering what state to make that um, great real estate investment in? Yeah. Funny you should ask. Yeah, I'm curious. Where's the opportunity in this country to buy real estate for cheap? Number seven, Oklahoma. Are we doing like a David Letterman countdown here? Yeah, they're they're numbered, so I'll give you the numbers. Okay. Help keep us on track, and if you're re- if you're really excited for this segment to be over, then you'll know the countdown <laughs> as we go through. Number it. seven, Oklahoma. Three hundred grand will buy you a three thousand one hundred and seventy-five square foot home. Ah. Uh. Um. Ish. 
Number six. The tax rate in Oklahoma is between 8.82 and 11%. So, like the get sales it. tax? It's the um, the average sales tax rate. Huh. Depends where you are. In Number six, Alabama. $92 a square foot translates into a 3,256 square foot home for 300 grand. Hmm. Wow. The cheap... In addition to cheap real estate, Alabama has the second lowest property tax rate in the U.S. at just 0.43%. Wow. So you get a great value there with really low taxes. Yeah, that is nice. Go get some. By the way, homeowners age 65 and older don't pay any property taxes at all. Whoa. So maybe, just maybe. If you had your home paid for... In Alabama, and you're over the age of 65, there's really your just only maintenance costs and insurance. Yeah, your only, yeah, insurance and utilities and whatever maintenance. Perhaps you want to put Alabama down on the uh, retirement list. Retirement list yeah. of where to go. Huh. Okay. It'll be the next heaven's waiting room there we go. after Florida. West Virginia, number five, $89 median price per square foot. So that $300,000 budget would get you a 3,360-square-foot home. It also has one of the lowest property tax rates in the U.S., with the average bill just amounting to 0.59%. Put in context, most of California is between 1% and percent. So Most of the cities uh, around here, I'd say right around 1.1% is a good Yeah, good, somewhere in there. We're going to have to take a quick time out on your list here. Because I can see the pace that we're going, and we've got a caller waiting on the line. So we're going to jump to this caller. We're going to take a break on our on our seven best places to buy real estate in the country, and we're going to have a question from Colleen calling in from Morro Bay. Morning, Colleen. I, I want to thank you guys very much for the music you're playing. It's just, you don't hear those songs enough, and it's beautiful. Uh, my question is, what do you do with timeshares? What do we do with timeshares? What do you mean? Well, I have one that my husband had gotten talked into a long time ago, <laughs> and um, I, I like I, I don't use it. I have, we probably only used it three times in 15, 20 years, maybe. I'm not even sure how long it's been. You have to sell I know them. I know what you can do with it. Okay. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Remember we're on the radio. Where here. is this timeshare? And um no, but really so there are property managers that actually manage timeshares where they will um book advertise and book and manage the um the income for you. So there's a way that you could actually turn it into some revenue. But there's also a whole secondary market for timeshares too. If you guys decide that you're no longer interested in it at all, you could put it up and just sell it. Somebody might be interested to buy it from you. You might even be surprised what you could get for it. I remember looking at that secondary timeshare market during the recession. Yeah. Was, and you could get timeshares basically for a dollar. It was brutal. Because there's a transfer price where you had to pay the transfer from one owner to the next. But most of the timeshares have an annual maintenance cost where the, that's the budget that maintains the actual property that you're a deeded owner in. And so people were just wanting out from underneath the maintenance costs and willing to sell their timeshare um, really for nothing more than the transfer cost of it. But today, I don't see that at all anymore. Uh, when you're selling a timeshare today on that secondary market, we see people are paying for them. So 
Um, that that's what I would suggest. Have have somebody manage it and make you some money off of it. And if you're not interested in that, then I would I would find one of those dealers to sell them on the secondary market. Well, how how do you find a manager? Um, well, they're they're kind of everywhere, really. Um, where is your timeshare located? Uh, Sedona, which was very seductive in him, saying yes, 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 and then he went from the low price and bought a higher price one, which I don't know it makes any difference unless it counts on points or something. But yeah, it's in Sedona, and it's a beautiful place, you know, to go to, except for hundred degree weather if they have it. Yeah, what's the um, who's the company ultimately that owns that property? Do you know? Is Windham. Windham. Yeah. See. So that's one, um, you know, what I would say is get get a hold of one of these different management companies. Um, there's a, a company, you know, just to kind of start goofing around with it, um, like I just pulled up this Grand Pacific Re- Resorts website, and they've got um, a eight questions to ask before choosing a management company for your timeshare um management. And so basically what you're looking at is, you know, just trying to find a company that'll have good reach at selling that. But I I bet you... Um, Wouldn't you know it, I googled Windham Property Management and there's Windham Vacation Rentals. So it looks like they have a side business of after they sell you the property, the timeshare, they'll also manage it for you. Wow. Yeah, so you might just get in touch with them as a jumping-off point. They'd probably be ticked off and wouldn't do it because I got a letter, oh, gosh, not too long ago. It's been six months or more to, about the maintenance, and I just quit paying on it. I got two letters from them, probably bills, because I stopped the payment, and I haven't made the payment on the maintenance because I think it's really dumb to pay for land they don't even really do much with. Hmm. And, I, and, of course, the letter could have been misleading, but I heard a lot of people say that they went that route. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. I would, I would suggest... Um, I would suggest basically just finding a property management company. I would call the resort first and find out, you know, what they have to offer. But I do think based on if you stop paying the maintenance, then they can basically go through a title action of taking the timeshare away from you. And I don't I wouldn't be quick to do that without understanding what its value is. That might be something that you might be able to sell for several thousand dollars. I mean, some depending on the property and timeshare, some of these things sell for fifteen, thirty thousand bucks. So I would definitely yeah. want to understand what what it's worth. Close to that. But it's just like uh, I'd hate to just lose it back to them if somebody wanted it for a couple thousand dollars just you know, because they'd have to probably pay the maintenance uh, back on it yeah but you know i can i i need to live on the 800 dollars a year that i have to pay for maintenance yeah i hear you um if you are interested in just selling it um there are a bunch of different avenues to be able to sell that but um i it's kind of an easy thing to do but there's the first one that pops up has a phone number um, that I could give you where you could at least initiate a phone call of seeing what you might be able to sell that for. 
Well, that would be great if I could just do that because I've got to get yeah, out from me, under a button. Let me if you read don't you, need something, let, you don't need it. Right. Let me read you this phone number. Okay. It's 855-609-4438. Oh, that would be great because I have a, a friend also living close by. I, she put one on uh, oh. A local listing thing here you know, that's just neighborhood thing and i haven't called her but i'll give her that number because i think she's wanting to get rid of hers too because she has like two or three of them wow okay i appreciate it and i really appreciate your show and i love your music keep yeah. it up all right thanks uh, Thank i you. learned a lot from you guys bye uh, i appreciate it and just so you know, if anybody has a timeshare out there that they don't want anymore and they're just looking for a couple nice guys to give one to. Um, Sedona's kind of nice, too. Yeah. yeah, I haven't been, but I would go. And when you say give, you mean the week of time per year, not the... I mean, you can give whatever you're... Yeah, whatever you want to give away. I mean... They have air conditioning in Sedona. Well, the, well, I hope so. Sounds like it gets hot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps too hot. Where? Oh, we were on our list. That's where we were. That's right. We were on number four, West Virginia. Let me get back Most there. affordable places in the country to buy real estate. When it sounds like we're talking price per square foot here. That's right. Well, what you could buy on a $300,000 budget is right. really what we're after. Right. Um, the property tax rate in West Virginia, 0.59%, and income tax is 65 um, with an average sales tax of 62 Pretty good numbers there if you want to live in West Virginia. Number four, Ohio. Housing market is really just slightly cheaper than West Virginia. You could buy a 3,366 square foot home with that 300 grand. Um, the Ohio's top income tax rate, the top rate you're going to find there in Ohio is 4.997. Um, they pay. Oh, there's some other taxes you got to pay in some different municipalities there that look like it could be an additional 3.5%. So it's not quite as good as it sounds, but it's still number four on the list of where you could buy the most affordable real estate. Number three, Arkansas. That three hundred grand will land you a 3,390-square-foot home. The state's uh, property tax rate is 0.6%. Two percent, which is among the lowest in the nation, and the average homeowner pays nine point three percent sales tax rate. Number two, Mississippi. Spell it. M i s s i s s i p p i. Good boy. Second cheapest state to buy a home, three hundred thousand, will get you a thirty four hundred two square foot home. Spread out a little. 3,400 square feet. I mean, I, I realize we're on number six now. This might be a waste on you guys. You ever live in a 3,400 square foot house? Part of the problem is in these areas. Can you imagine trying to cool this 3,400 square feet house? <laughs> these properties are all in some places of in heat and humidity. Here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, hurricanes. 
Oh, yeah. Number one, where bugs are big as birds. (laughs) Indiana. Indiana? Indiana. Wow. $86 a square foot. It's the most affordable state to buy a home. $300,000 budget could get you a house of 3,478 square feet. Wow. The state is also ranked as one of the um, 10 most tax-friendly states. Um, it has a low individual income tax rate, which is flat at 3.3%, and a low average property tax. So there you go. Going down the list, you want to get the biggest bang for the buck. Indiana's where you need to go. Um, in terms of that retirement, this idea of getting over to Alabama <laughs> where you don't have to pay property taxes anymore, that's a heck of a 65th birthday present yeah, right there. Right? Hmm. Speaking of which, oh, it's break time. Yeah, let's take the last I got break. a I got an email, um, and I guess it'll depend if this listener, how loyal this listener is, really, <laughs> because it was two weeks ago now. I meant to forward it to you guys last week to answer, but I didn't, um, but wanted to address um, the tax change. Um, you know, that property tax base transfer that we have here in uh, Slow County yeah, wanted yeah. us to talk a little bit about that. So um, we'll talk about that, among a few other things, when we get back from this final commercial break here. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Beautiful, far heroes prove 
time with you today about 15 more minutes yeah you gotta love America you gotta love Ray Charles it's a great song yeah so before the break you were teasing that uh, you had someone email you a question during the week related to property tax transfer yeah and so um, this of course is is good information, I think, for everyone. If you're, because I think it's it's part of a make sense plan of when you um, right size your home. I like to use the term right sizing instead of downsizing. So when you're going through those places of life when you're younger than fifty five, you have different housing needs, and once you get to that point of your life where you're ready for maybe a little bit smaller house, maybe a single level home. Um, sometimes people are moving from acreage down and back into a neighborhoods or tired of having that yard to keep up all that thing. Um, so anyways, there was a, um, an initiative a few years back. It was a ballot ballot measure that created an opportunity for you to transfer your property tax pace, um, from one property to another. And, um, so first of all, I want to tell everybody that if you open up a page, right, if you're listening right now and you're, whether you're ready to transfer your tax base this year or just something to, to have on the horizon for the future, um, open up an internet page and just type in real simply, you put San Luis Obispo, 
um, county property tax transfer. That's where I started. The second link that pops up takes you to slowcounty.ca.gov, and then you can click on um, really what I'm going to share with you guys is the frequently asked questions um, relating to this property tax transfer. So um, here's the eligibility requirements is that you or a spouse residing you with you must have been at least 55 years of age when the original property was sold. Um, the replacement property must be your principal res- residence and you must be eligible for the homeowner's exemption or a disabled veteran's exemption. The replacement property must be of equal or lesser current market value. So you're not going to sell your $400,000 house and buy an $800,000 house and move your tax base. You would, you'd really need to be going the other way. So if you sold a house for 800 grand, you need to buy one for 800 grand and move that tax base from the old property to the new, um, The equal or lesser test is applied to the entire replacement property, even if the original owner of the property purchases the replacement property with other people. So if you're, if you think you're downsizing because you're only buying a 50% ownership in it, you're not going to be getting that exemption there. The replacement property must be purchased or built within two years of the sale of the original property. So this is two years before or after. So when you're selling that property, you got to either already have it or make sure you get that done within um, the two-year period. Um, let's see here. Yeah, your original property has to have been elig- eligible for the homeowner's exemption. Um, and the last thing to note here about the eligibility is that it's a one-time benefit. You don't get to do this over and over again um, if you let's say you bought a house 20 years ago, you've been in a long time, you have a good tax base in it, but the property is too big or too difficult to maintain. It's a multi-level. For whatever reason, now you're wanting to downsize into something a little bit more appropriate for your lifestyle or management. Um, It's a one-time benefit. So you need to make sure that you get it right. Um, And so that's the deal. I mean, um, our county allows us to um, to use this. Each county has a discretion of whether or not they want to use an inter-county transfer of the tax base. So in other words, if you're moving within Slow County, you're eligible for this. If you're coming from outside of Slow County or moving to outside of Slow County, um, there are a list of nine other counties that are um, working with San Luis County on the um, inter-county transfer tax. Um, I'm sorry, property tax transfer. That's so, transferring from Slow County to another county, right? Um, or one coming in. Oh, interesting. My understanding was slow. I was looking at one article that showed eight counties would receive w- would be willing to receive the the tax base transfer from another county and San Luis was not one of the eight but you're saying nine and slow might participate this particular one here says I plan to relocate to San Luis Obispo County can I transfer my tax base year from the county I'm living in now and the list is a short list Alameda 
El Dorado, Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, San Diego, San Mateo, Santa Clara, and Ventura counties. If you're coming from one of those, San Luis will accept your um, transfer of that tax base. Interesting. So this is an important thing. I was happy to get the question uh, because I, I think it's good for us to reiterate this from time to time. This is an important thing. And I try to remember it as often as I can because we, of course, see people over the age of 55 transacting property. If you bought a house a year or two ago, you know, it's not going to be as much benefit as there is if you had it 25 years ago. But this is something that you need to know about um, because there's an application process for you um, to make sure that you do this for yourself. If you simply sell and buy real estate and slow, no one's moving this for you. This is something that you need to know about and make sure that you're eligible and following the appropriate steps to get it done within the time frame they allow you to do it. So I want to I want to say this again a little bit differently for some of you that are listening. You're over 55 and you bought real estate in the last 2 years, you can actually go back now and apply if you did if you did this and you didn't know that you could move your tax base. You could go back and apply for that old year's tax base, and there's actually a process to even get you um, some of the retroactive money between this and then. So you you maybe didn't have any idea that this was even out there. Now you do. Um, So if anybody's listening that fits that, um, you want to get in touch with the, um, the county pretty quick. And as always, I want to just reiterate this one more time. Um, Tom Bornaro is a friend of the show. We have him on um, from time to time. And I just, his office is highly accommodative. They're really nice people that have a real desire to help and are really good at at answering the phone, answering email, being responsive to whatever your inquiries are. They're really, and I think it's a top-down thing over there. I think this comes because of the way Tom uh, runs the assessor's office, but um, they have a very consumer-centric type of philosophy in there, and so it makes them great to deal with. If you have questions about your tax base or transferring your tax base, questions about um, things that may trigger reassessment, other things like this, I would... Um, I would urge you to call them directly. One thing Tom Bornaro shared with us each time that he's been on the show is that when when you do something that triggers a, a change in your tax base, a reassessment, or something like this, um, there's no undoing it. So it's really important to understand what you're doing before you pull the trigger on it. Once you've done it, it can't be undone. And there um, there are a variety of things that happen when people refi a spouse on or off title or just different things like that where you might find yourself in a little bit of a pickle. Um, so I always urge anybody before you monkey around with title things um, or if you're trying to plan something to make sure you get it right, like a like moving your tax base from one property to another, go ahead and call them. They're, they're friendly and helpful um, and make sure that they steer you in the right direction. So that question was from uh, um, 
just a listener that sent an email. And so I want to also ask you guys, um, if you have questions, I mean, not only can you call, but you can also send an email. We have an email address of info at centralcoastlending.com where you can send a question. We'd be happy to address it on the air. I realize some of you guys aren't too eager about getting your uh, 15 minutes of fame. I never talked about the pending home sales index, and now I now I worry that it's out of context and lacking luster. But it's on my list here, so. Well, why don't we share it? I'll give it to you. So pending home sales is a measure of contracts that are uh, entered into but not yet um, closed. So this is a... A kind of a lookout. It's, it's it's accepted. It's about a forty-five day lookout as far as what these real estate numbers are going to look like. Um, pending home sales for the month of May were down 08 percent, and basically, you know what this means is that there's just a, a supply shortage, and um, there's a a variety of reasons why we find ourselves in this um this predicament but um this is the third consecutive month of decline in the pending home sales number and year over year we're down 1.7%. So there's a lighter volume of homes that are trading hands now too. I, and I suspect it's at least in part because uh it's hard to sell your home confidently right now because it's difficult to be able to to guarantee that you're going to be able to get that replacement property that you want. Wrapping it up, huh? Next week's going to be kind of a weird week with the 4th of July holiday on Tuesday. Banks and uh, markets will be closed on Tuesday. We've also got employment data coming out late in the week, so that's going to be a big driver of market movement. Yeah, and we'll, of course, report that back to you guys. Our office is going to be closed only on Tuesday. So if you have a question, want to get some analysis over anything that we talked about today, um, by all means, give us a call. We're really a a low-pressure environment. In fact, um, I might even suggest that we're not very good salespeople at all. Um, I, I personally just, I consider myself a facilitator working for you. And so you can come to us with your challenges, whatever your goals are. Um, and we'll just, we'll just look into it and see if there's something clever that can be done for you. Um, might move the needle a little bit on account on accomplishing a a long-term goal or a short-term goal. Um, but you never ask if you don't call. So I'd, I'd invite you guys to call and, just kind of get a look in on on what you got going on. At the same time, um, getting pre-approved for that home that you're after, uh, or if you're considering selling your house and and getting a replacement property, we'd love to be able to help guide you through that pre-approval process. It can make all the difference in the world in terms of having that competitive offer uh, in the market when it's go time. And I'm I'm not convinced that it's ever too early to start working on getting pre-approved for your first home. Uh, we can help you kind of understand expectation, budget, credit. Uh, we can address any concerns that we've got in terms of income or assets, help you kind of set savings goals and, and just get you on a plan. Um, I know it's accepted as 
a pretty big component of the American dream that you want to own your little postage stamp here in the U.S. And so um, if you want to get going on that, give us a call at 543-LOAN or start on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks much for being with us today. Thanks for the callers. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Be safe. Don't catch anything on fire. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Be well.